For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As we come to the word, I wanted to praise God for the great ministry that the whole of the church engaged in this week uh, for the Welch family. Um, How marvelous to see your servanthood and your love and your devotion. Um, At the funeral service, it went for an hour and 20 minutes, and that was not me preaching, by the way, though you probably, yeah, I bet. Um, we just had we had so much music. We had wonderful statements from David and Luke, his two sons, uh, talking about their father. And what was interesting is after being in here hour twenty twenty five minutes, and we had the reception afterwards, and people lingered and lingered and lingered, and were here an hour hour and a half later. And it was just a, a little sanctuary, a little place of shelter for them that was provided by you. Uh, the music uh, that everybody provided, the, the food, the uh, attendance to everything. I just thank God for it. I praise His name for all that you've done. So encouraging to see the body uh, be the body and, and reach out to one another. And I thought before we came to the Word, we ask His blessing upon the Word and also to pray for uh, the Welch family again. Lord, we stand before your sovereignty and we simply don't know what to say we we don't we can't in any way explain it we don't know why you do all the things that you do except we know who you are and you're the father who has loved us you're the father who did not spare his own son you delivered him up for us all how will you not with him freely give us all things So even if a husband dies, a father, a beloved friend, a son, it still is a part of your freely giving your people all good things that they might be conformed to Christ. And we're reminded, Lord, that this is your object in our life, to conform us to Jesus Christ, to give us more of Him, to make us like Him to manifest Him in our lives more and more. And we would submit, Lord, to that 
We pray for the devastation that has struck this family. We pray for their hearts, that you would lift them up and buoy them up, Lord, in your glory and your goodness and your greatness. As in the months and even years to come, they continue to have sadness and it hit them at different times in different ways in unexpected ways and holidays and so many times. Oh, Lord, draw near as they cry out afresh to you. Give them your relief. Be their comfort as you've promised yourself to be. Open up new vistas of your goodness and grace to them, Lord. Sustain them by your strength. We thank you, Lord, that you will do this. You've committed yourself. We thank you that you are a faithful high priest. You know what it is to lose a loved one, the loss of your own father on earth. You know the agony and the pain of it. And as the writer says, you have suffered in every way like we have, and you are able to come to the aid of those who suffer and those who are tempted. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will be such a glory and a strength to them, and you will make yourself known so freely to them. We thank you for the grace that they have shown in this, the faith in you, the love that they have given away to others, even in their own pain. Thank you, Lord, for their faith, their example of devotion to you and submission to your will. We thank you for Don and how to his last breath, Lord, you manifested your love to him and gave him such bright hope in the resurrection and that he exhibited his love for you at all times. Oh, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, as we come to your word, will you not open it up to our understanding? that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. One summer in Birmingham when I worked with uh, the Navigator uh, group in a summer training program, we were working construction, and I worked with a drilling firm, as some of you may know. And at first I was bringing up the bucket beside the hole, as the guy down in the hole was the hole man, but being the energetic young kid, I wanted to get down in the hole. And no college guys were in the hole, which made me want to get down there all the more. And so eventually I badgered the super enough that he let me be a hole man. And of course, I was so cool because I had goggles and, you know, something to keep out the stone dust and earplugs. I was cool, you know, walking around. So I thought, <clears throat> um, and, uh, uh, for instance, the toothless uh, old man that maintained the air uh, machine would come by my hole every day, and he would look down on me and, and say, Hey there, groundhog. <laughs> Walk over to his machine. But he had to do that every day, just tell me I'm a groundhog, you know. And they just thought it was so funny that the college kid was down in the hole. Well, everything was fine, and I did well. I'm working hard. But I brought this hole all the way down, and I didn't know what to do when you get to the bottom and there's water down there. Now, I had a pump that was pumping up water, but you've got to do a drill hole, a test hole that's 10 feet down. 
So what you do is you start with a four-foot drill, drill all the way down, pull it up, put a six-foot bit in and two more feet. Then you get a ten-foot bit in and you put it down and that drills the last four feet. Fine, I had done that on a few holes. I can drill a test hole. Well, I didn't know that you were supposed to build up a mound of dirt or, or mud so that you're drilling through the mud to keep all the water from going into the hole. So my four foot I got out, but my six foot uh, got stuck. And then when I drilled another hole, and I got a ten foot, and I got that stuck as well. And so the leading hole man came down there, and he couldn't even get them out. They'd never seen anything like that. And, of course, the superintendent's all over me, like, you know, we didn't make any money on this hole. We lost money in this hole because we lost two bits, you idiot, you know. And, well, kids, don't use that word. But um, <clears throat> Now, what I needed, what I needed so badly was equipping Right? I needed knowledge. I needed somebody to show me exactly what to do. And in jobs like this and other jobs, it may be that we don't only need knowledge, but we need years of knowledge for a job, years of training to be able to accomplish a particular job. We may need whole crews in order to do a job. And then we may need inner motivation, uh, the training of our heart, uh, to be able to give ourselves to particular job. There's all these things, this equipping that we need to do the work that we may be called to. All the more the work of being believers in a dark world. How desperately do we need the equipment of Jesus Christ? The life of Jesus Christ, the nourishing and cherishing of Jesus Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ, the total capacity of Christ given freely to his people so that we, his body, might be able to do the great work that is ours of getting the gospel to this place and to the whole world. Oh, how we need the Lord Jesus. And that is what this passage is all about is the Lord Jesus giving himself freely to his people. And we're going to see basically this idea that the Lord of all things fills his church so that his church can walk in love. The Lord of all things fills his church, gives her abundant capacity then to walk in love. So I want to divide it basically into two sections. The Lord of all things and then how he fills his church. The Lord of all things and then how this Lord fills his church. Well, in his lordship, first of all, he's an absolute Lord over all things. In Ephesians, it says in verse 21, that he is seated. And if you would, you can turn and open in the scriptures to Ephesians 1. If you don't have a Bible, I urge you to page 976 to look with me. Uh, The reason we do this, by the way, is that I'm not here, if you're visiting with us, I'm not here to give my opinion about anything. We are here to try to ask the question, what does God say to us? 
What does His Word teach us? And that's why we urge you to open up and look, because this is our whole source for what we are to be and to do as the people of God. But you notice that it says, He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, verse 20, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, it's interesting in His absolute lordship, what we read to begin the service with talks about His being creator of all things. So he's absolute Lord already by virtue of his creation. Here it says he's been exalted above rule and authority. It says there he made all rule and authority in the earth. So it's not a question as the creator whether they have enough strength or he has enough strength. They push him, he pushes them. He owns the battlefield from the beginning because he's the creator. He's before all things, Paul says in Colossians. He holds all things together. And so, whatever other powers they are, they will not thwart His purposes. They must serve His purpose in spite of their own will. So, by creation, He is above all things. And then we even read in Colossians that by His cross, He has defeated the enemy. It says in Colossians 2 that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Same two words here, ruler and authority. He disarmed them by his cross. And it paints the picture of his being in a chariot. And they, after a Roman general defeats uh, uh, kings, they come behind them naked and in chains. And that's the picture Paul paints of what he has done to the spiritual forces of wickedness the demonic forces of evil that are at the root of all rebellion against God. He disarmed them and triumphed over them. You see, we read in Hebrews that through his death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil, who enslaved people to a life of fear because of death and judgment. We see through his death... He liberates His people from that fear because He takes judgment upon Himself. And so those that held under a a host of people by dark guilt and sinful living and corruption and oppression, He disarms them and breaks them free through forgiveness and transformation. And He defeats the enemy forces that had us enslaved. And isn't it amazing, in His death, in his seeming weakness as the degraded, mutilated, shattered, crucified one, he was still acting in royal authority, bringing about the powerful liberation from his people. He is absolute Lord in creation, in the cross, and right here in Ephesians, in the ascension to the right hand of the Father. Far above, notice, all rule and authority. Every name, this refers to the naming of idols and deities associated with magic, trying to wield power or naming them to try to get them to do something or to uh, assuage the guilt and the judgment that they may have. But he says he's exalted far above every name that is named. And then in a final word, he says, and he's put all things under his feet. So... As Paul says in Colossians 2, he is head over all rule and authority. There is no power on earth that can begin to refuse him 
or stand against what He chooses to do in this world. He absolutely is Lord. So think in the first place in terms of this Lord. It's an absolute Lordship. Think capture, triumph, conquest, takeover, unlimited exaltation, unlimited majesty, victory, and power. Absolute Lord. Secondly, though, think as you think of this Lord as the pervasive Lord. Okay? He's the exalted absolute Lord, but He's the pervasive Lord. Notice in verse 23 it says, The church is His body, the fullness of Him. And this last glorious phrase, Who fills all in all. And we may pass by that phrase and not realize everything that this phrase is saying. Who fills all in all. In other words, who completely fills all things. Or fills the cosmos, the whole world, the whole universe. Who fills the cosmos in every respect. Now the background of this is Jeremiah 23. When the Lord says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. You see, this expresses God's all-encompassing presence. His sovereignty that pervades everything in the universe. There is nothing that is outside God or above God, nothing that has any existence or power apart from God. He embraces all things and the existence of everything rests in His powerful hands. He fills all in all. But how amazingly then that in Colossians where we read, it says, in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of this God who fills all things dwells in Christ. The fullness of God. So this God of all-pervading sovereignty now dwells in Christ in all of His fullness. So that Christ is the person in whom God was pleased to take up His residence. All the attributes and activities of God, His Spirit, Word, wisdom, and glory are perfectly displayed in Christ. And so, now, God's all-encompassing presence in the earth is realized through the Lord Jesus. It is mediated through the Lord Jesus It is expressed through the Lord Jesus. He fills everything in every way. That's the translation of the NIV, and it's an excellent translation. He fills everything with His sovereignty in every way. He pervades all things with His sovereign rule. And so, as you think exalted and absolute lordship, Think pervasive lordship, the extensive rule, the unlimited reach of his lordship. It's a total invasion of his sovereignty, a complete occupation, filling everything in every way with his sovereign rule. He is shut out of nothing, nowhere, is what that means. And I love this phrase, 
the whole universe falls within the reach of his mighty presence. Oh, how glorious. The whole universe falls within the reach of his mighty presence. So he's an absolute Lord. He's a pervasive Lord. But he is also, and this may seem an odd word, a conclusive Lord. Bringing this whole creation that he's absolutely over, that he pervades, he's bringing it to a specific conclusion, to a specific result in his lordship. Just look earlier in this same book of Ephesians. He speaks of, in verse 9 of this same chapter, that the Lord made known to us the mystery of his will, revealing uh, revealing a truth that had earlier not been known, but now he's making this known to us. And it's his will that according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So the ages have finally reached this uh, initiating of this plan and it is in action, it is moving forward and here's the ultimate result. To unite All things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There is the goal of the whole of the creation, that everything will be united in Him. The New American Standard has a a good translation. It says, summarize. This word is used many times at the end of a treatise or work, and they will summarize all the points that were made. Or in Romans 13, Paul uses this word when he says, the summary is love. To summarize everything in the Old Testament, it's summarized in this one word, love. In other words, all the threads of the commands of Scripture are integrated and coordinated under one idea, summarized in one thing, love. And so what love does to the commands of God, Jesus Christ is going to do to the cosmos. And all of its fractured pieces, and all of its rebellion and darkness, and all of its destruction. It's like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall and it's broken to pieces. And Paul is saying, in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all going to be brought together. And there will be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. The way uh, Colossians 1 reads, which we read... He will reconcile all things through Christ. That's not just people. The reconciliation of the creation itself, the cosmos itself, bringing together all the elements of the cosmos into Christ so that He will be final Lord and He will bring about His peace and He will eliminate sin from this world and everything would be made the way it's supposed to be the newly created world. So it's a restoration of harmony. Christ is the focal point. He reintegrates everything and unites the cosmos toward this common, glorious goal. So God's not going to do away with the world. He's redeeming the world. And if you read in Romans 8, it talks about the whole of creation standing, as it were, on the edge of its seat, uh, standing on its tiptoes, sitting on the edge of its seat, looking down the road for the revelation of the sons of God, because that will mean when they are revealed and resurrected, then the whole world will be resurrected, basically. 
They're looking for the restoration, the final resurrection of the people of God, and then the creation itself will be set free as well. So you see, this Lord Jesus, if you think of it picturally, he, picture it, He's exalted above all things. No power can stand against Him. But no power can keep Him from pervading the whole of His cosmos. And because He's over all and in all, He can direct the whole thing toward its final end. And that's what He's going to do. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Overall, in all, moving all to a specific end. Now, here is the glorious thing that Paul says. Look with me, please, to verse 22. When it says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. We generally read this this way. We read it as... He gave him as head of all the things of the church. You see what I mean? We generally read it this way. He gave him as head of all the things of the church. But that's not what it says. It says something more glorious than that. It's saying that this Lord that has been described as far above rule and authority and power and dominion, This one who pervades heaven and earth with his power. This one who in verse 10 is bringing all things to a conclusion. He's given this one who is head over all things to the church. Get the feel of that? He's given this absolute Lord to the church. The head over all things is now gifted to the people of God. And as Andrew Lincoln wrote in his great commentary, all the supremacy and power God has given to Christ, He has given to be used on behalf of the church. That's why at this particular point, right after He says all things have been put under Him, what's the next thing to be said? This Lord is the church's. He rules for the sake of His people. He gives Himself freely to His people. And His people result in being the fullness of Him. And and this means that He permeates His church. He fills His church. He sustains and pours all that the church needs so that He supplies the church with uh, everything that it needs to serve Him and love Him. And it's interesting in the Greek thought the uh, primal man in their thinking, uh, his body was creation itself, but not this. The creation is not his body. The church is his body. The church is uniquely his fullness. Though he fills all things, we are his fullness. Though he fills all things, we, by his grace and mercy, are his body. We are completed by Christ. And this means, you see, that nothing can stop Christ from enriching His church. If He's absolute Lord and He pervades all things and governs all things and is bringing them to their end, then He is absolutely able to do whatever He chooses to His church and for His church because He is Lord. And this means also that the church 
is the focus and medium of Christ's presence and rule in the universe. After saying His head over all things, where is His rule? Where is the manifestation of His grace going to be shown in the main? In the church. In the church to the whole rest of creation. And so God's power is absolutely available to His people. Notice what He had said just earlier in in what we read in verse 19. Paul says, I want you to understand what the immeasurable greatness of His power is toward us who believe. And now He says that immeasurable greatness of power is none other than the Lord of the universe that is pledged to you. And all of His capacity now is for you Everything in the universe is submitted to this one goal of His, to fill His church and bless His church. You see, the rule in the universe is for that end in view, to bless His church. That's why what we read in uh, our responsive reading from Ephesians chapter 4, it says, He is exalted and He led captive captives, a captive, a host of captives. And what's the next phrase? And he gives gifts to his people. See, he's exalted for what reason? The reason to bless his people. He's not just exalted. He's exalted as the head of the church, as the one who is exalted in order to bless his church. And when this is spelled out just a little bit, it's amazing in chapter 2, that he uses the same phrase of raising us up and seating us in the heavenlies and purposely borrows the language from Jesus being raised and seated at the right hand of God. And where does chapter 2 begin? We're under the power of evil. The power of the prince of the air is working in us. We are enslaved and in darkness And he initiates salvation. But we're so identified with Christ, we end up seated with Christ. So the point is for you and me, we do not have to give in to the powers of this world. We are exalted in Christ. And as we trust him and as we call upon him, as we worship him and conform our ways to him by his grace, then we defeat the powers of this world but we defeat them from the position that we've been exalted in Christ and we sit with Him in the heavenlies. Chapter 2, verse 6. So our fellowship with Him, our exaltation with Him, ultimately means, as He goes on to say in Ephesians 2, we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What does it mean to be exalted above the powers, the demonic forces? They are opposed to one thing, and that is that human beings would care for one another. They're out to destroy us and to have us destroy one another and to hate one another. That is the ultimate destruction of hatred, opposing the glory of God and the good of mankind. And so Christ is exalted to defeat them and we are caught up with Him and by His grace we become workmanship of Christ, created in Christ. And amazingly later in chapter 3, it talks about our, the church itself, making known to these rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly places the grace of God. Now, that is an amazing thing. We, and and in that passage, he talks about Jew and Gentile being joined together in love. Chapter 2, he talks about the same thing, of how we've been made one people. And Jew and Gentile is a symbol for the whole of our unity. It's interesting, we talked about this at uh, the new members class this weekend. But the, the, the last thing before Abraham is set apart as the, as the first of the people of God that will ultimately issue in Jesus Christ is the scattering of the nations in the Tower of Babel. The scattering of the nations. Next move, call Abram and say, through you, all the nations will be blessed. That means all peoples gathered together as one in love. All classes of people, all races of people, all different kinds of people brought together to love and care for one another. And Paul says, this will be an announcement to the demonic forces. Your time is up. This is a preview of the final consummation and glory of this creation that will be reformed in love. And here it is. It begins with the church. And we are a prophecy. We are a preview and a representation of the final work that Christ will do in this world of creating peace and love. And then... The very passage that we read, I just end with this in Ephesians 4. What's the end result of his filling his people? The end result of pouring out these gifts as he's exalted to the right hand of God and now we're the fullness of Christ and he pours out his riches into our lives. And the final result is verse 16. From whom this Christ, this exalted Christ, we're going to grow up into every way into him who is our head, this exalted Christ. And from him, the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When we're all working together and loving and pouring out our gifts for one another, the body builds itself up in love. How glorious that out of his fullness... No surprise here, we will be a body that is committed to one another in love. And that love pours out as we send brothers and sisters to China and other places, as we seek to win the world for Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this prayer. Would you turn just to Ephesians 3? It's right there. What a beautiful statement here about being filled with His strength and being filled to all the fullness of God. He says in verse 16 that we would be strengthened through His Spirit. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That you being rooted and grounded in love, notice, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is one of the results of Christ's fullness, which we are? It is that we will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's how we're filled up with all the fullness of God. Knowing more and more the love of Christ And then in Ephesians 4, being a body that gives itself in love because of His fullness.
I would set each of you a challenge. Are you, are you depending on the absolute Lord to fill your life, to equip you, to be everything for this body, for your family, for your relationships, for your struggles spiritually? Are you resting in Him as absolute Lord that He freely gives Himself to you and that you can be a monument of the fullness of Jesus Christ in your life. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you and exalt you. Lord, absolute Lord, pervasive Lord, concluding, conclusive Lord, and Lord, that you, Lord of all things, have been given to us. You have been given to us, and we are your fullness. You will enrich your people. You will enrich us individually. You will enrich us in the particular sin problems we're dealing with, the particular fears, the particular enslavements, the particular uh, habits and prejudices, the particular ways that we are dominated. Oh, Lord, you will set us free and you will enrich us. We rest in you, absolute Lord. Grant us faith. Grant, Lord Jesus, that we indeed will rest in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.